us tell God, I need you. But what's even better is when we find ourselves in the place of need and we know that the person who has what we need wants to give us what we need more than we want it. God is so good. Why don't we just give him praise? Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Oh, my gosh. We are so blessed to have a God who loves us, who is for us, and who will stand with us against anything. Amen? Praise God. Well, why don't you turn and just wave to a couple of folks and you can be seated. I am so thankful for God. I, I can tell you that I am more aware than ever before that I deserve nothing that God would give me. It's not like I can earn it or that I would own it on my own merit, but God in his infinite love, his great mercy and grace and goodness would freely offer me and offer all of us everything we need, everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's, it's an amazing thing, and I am so grateful. Um, it is, it is uh, I just want to say that Debbie and I uh, had a great time with our family uh, last week. Um, I'll be sharing with you um, at some point in the future about a miracle. I mean, it is... Is an absolute miracle what what we were able to see and experience, and uh, we're so grateful to God for that. But uh, I also want to say thank you to Jeremy. See, Jeremy's Jeremy's going to put his head down and pretend he's writing, but but uh, because he's embarrassed. But uh, I I watched the message uh, as it was uh, live broadcast, live streamed, and uh, what a great message. What a timely message. What an important message. As always, you know, not my will. We're not here to do our will. When we do our will, we get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> and, and other people pay a price. But when we do God's will, when God's will is done, there may be a price we pay, but it'll be more than worth it. And we may not see it this side of heaven, but we will see it. And people will will benefit from us being willing to do what God has for us to do. One of the things that uh, I, I, it just grabbed a hold of me because I knew coming back what, what I was going to be sharing uh, in the upcoming uh, services. Uh, it caught my attention. Jeremy referenced the book of Ecclesiastes, how two are better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken, and how we need to be surrounded by believers. I'm telling you right now, uh, your life depends on it. It really does on who you connect with, who you associate with, who you look to, who you rely on, who you surround yourself with. Um, because things are getting crazy. Anybody else see that out there? I'm, I'm telling you, I've never, I never would have believed if somebody had told me the things that we have not only gone through, but the things we've seen and experienced. And, and um, just looking at, at the world that we live in, I, I, I want to ask you, and I always do, I ask you to participate, but I'm, I'm, I need some help this morning for you to help me 
understand what you see in our world. What's a word, one word that describes? It, there are no right or wrong answers. It's just what you're seeing. What word describes the, the world we're living in, our society? Chaos, confusion. Dysfunction, fear. Selfishness. Do you guys see any of that out there? I, I, I wrote a whole list of words. And I was actually going to put a whiteboard up here and start writing down words, but uh, we wouldn't have enough whiteboards to write down all the words. But one of the big words that, that kept, I, I see it all the time, and I see it in various facets of our society um, and aspects of our society, and the word is division. Do you guys agree with that? You see division uh, in, in so many different sectors and, and factors and aspects. And, uh, you know, we've got the Olympics coming up, we think. <laughs> uh, and, and there's a chant that usually goes on at, at all the Olympics when, when our country is participating. Anybody remember what that is? Yeah, yeah, we're all afraid to say it. But, you know, if we were out there and watching somebody participate in a sport, we'd be going, USA! Oh, maybe you wouldn't. But, but it's, it's infectious. You know, USA. And what, 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 what does USA stand for? United States of America, USA. But I have to tell you, as I was thinking about this, I, I w became very aware that the U.S. has left the A. I felt like the Spirit of God said, us are not united. We've, we've, we've divided ourselves in America in so many different ways. Uh, and, and that's a dangerous thing. It's a really dangerous thing. Again, just, just sitting, I spend a lot of time just sitting, listening for God and, and, and reading and praying. And I, I know that I need what God has. I know that he has more wisdom than I do and understanding. And I need that. And I was just sitting and, and thinking about how we call ourselves the United States of America, and yet we are less united than we probably have ever been. And it's not just the states, is it? Within states and cities and neighborhoods and families and churches and businesses. Exactly. Right. United we stand, divided we fall. You know, I was, I was looking for that song that probably you and I both know uh, and, and um, thinking about how the we of America has been turned upside down to be me. And what does a divided nation, a divided city, a divided family need? They need somebody to come and, and restore, right? And, and unite them. What, what really are, are, there are so many things out there that are opposing 
and proclaiming they're the answer to what we're going through. But I have to be honest with you, I don't believe it because I believe there is one answer for division. And that's God. Because God is a God of unity and he's a God who unites. And we're going to be looking at the importance of unity because unity is really important. How many of you have a sense or have heard or um, are expecting revival? Okay, I'm glad some of you are. Some of you aren't. Come on. <laughs> because it's, it's going to happen. Uh, but, but I have to tell you one of the key ingredients, revival will not occur without unity. Without unity, it can't happen. We see it throughout Scripture. But God is a God who is a God of unity, is a God who unites. And, and we see this even from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We see God revealing himself and who he is and what he does. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, if you'll notice, there are three words that indicate the unity the oneness of God. Let us. Okay, so it, it, these, the Trinity is working together. Now, you know that. You know that it's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're all different, but they're all the same. How can that happen? Because he's God. All right? And God can do anything. But he says, let us, so Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, make man an individual or humanity, in our, again, that's, that's showing the unitedness of God, our image according to our likeness. So he's a united God, a God of unity that unites. Now he's saying, I'm going to make mankind in a fashion like us so that we can be united. That was always God's plan, wasn't it? He didn't just make man and, and woman and say, there you go. Hope you make out okay. God would come down every day and, and walk with them and, and hear and, and listen and talk with them and, and unite with them. And that gave them the ability to be who God had for them to be and do what God had for them to do. And, and in that environment, God had made man and woman and said, the two will be one. There's a oneness, there's a unity that God has desired, designed, and is. That without it, there is no revival. Because there's no revival without God. And, and God is a united God and he's a uniting God. And where there's division, we know. We know what the scripture says. It says a house, a city, a, a kingdom divided against itself will what? Not stand. It'll fall. So... There was this unity. But then what happened when Lucifer tempted Adam and Eve? They went their own way, right? They went away because they believed a lie that brought division. The first result we see is division. We see Adam and Eve becoming aware of themselves. Now they're stepping back from God. They're... That division not only divides them from God, that sin divides them from God, it divides Adam and Eve, doesn't it? 
Don't we see the first family fight there? And, and Adam is dumb enough to say, God, it's this woman you gave me. So he's pointing at the only two people that are around him. How smart is that? And what is that doing? When he points at God and blames God and he points at Eve and blames Eve, what does that do for him? How does that affect him? What's his now connection with everybody? Right, he's separated. He's now isolated even though he's in the presence of them. He's disconnected. He's divided. And this doesn't end there. What happens with the two sons they have? Man, there's a division there. So much so that one murders the other. And this has been going on and on and on. And I want you to know that God is going to bring a, the greatest revival this world has ever seen. But you got to watch your butts. But he is only going to do it through people that are willing to be united with God and united with one another. God doesn't work through lone rangers. There's no place in the body of Christ that God affirms the fact that you can do it on your own. Every place in the word of God, it indicates that we have no ability innate in us isolated from God or from the body that we can accomplish anything God wants or has planned. And so we're going to be looking at unity, but before we do, we're going to be looking at some other things. And for a society or a country or a world that's divided, what they need to see is a God of unity who unites and needs to see a united church. And I will tell you that right now we see more and more division happening. More and more isolation happening. More and more separation happening. And this is, as it was in the beginning, this is the very platform the enemy operates on. And he's working really effectively in the world but the problem is he's working just as effectively in the church. And we're, we're, we're giving in and place to the enemy, not realizing we're doing it. Because none of us Christians would be partners with the enemy, would we? No, we wouldn't intentionally, but that's where his deception, and it talks about in these last days, great deception will occur. In Matthew 24, we looked at that. We also found out that in that place of deception that people will hate one another and betray one another, which is happening not just out there in the world, it's happening in the church. And if we're being used in that fashion... To be critical or judgmental or speak against brothers or sisters, I'm telling you, you and I are not instruments of God's working. And we are not helping bring revival. Now, I, I, 
I almost feel like I want to apologize because this isn't one of those woohoo messages, but I'm telling you that this is really a woohoo message because we need to hear it and we need to take stock of ourselves. This isn't about us looking at anybody else or somebody elbowing a neighbor or saying, I can't wait to get that so that they can hear it. This isn't about somebody else. This is about us. The only person we have to consider today is us and God. What are we doing? And with that in mind, I just want to pray. So if you'd bow your heads and just open your hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. And it makes us free and keeps us free. It keeps us from deception. And Father, we're all, all possibly being deceived. But Father, we want to walk in the light as you are the light. We want to walk in the truth. And Father, I pray today that, that you would use me to speak your word that would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet that would be life and health to us, that would help recover us from the snare of the enemy and reveal to us the path you have for us. Father, I pray that we would be humble enough to receive truth and adjust our lives accordingly. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us so that you can do the work through us that you have promised us in your word. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read you something that I read yesterday. I've been reading more and more of these things online. And I'm telling you, one of the places you look to see whether you're walking in, in the, the things that God has is, what do you put online? What do you post? How do you reveal your perspectives towards others in the body of Christ? This is what I read. Yesterday I told you I spoke to someone who was contemplating ending their lives. Today they're alive. This isn't just a, a rare thing. This is happening more and more. But they said they decided to pull back from the church. They felt their church was the cause of a lot of their pain. I'm heartbroken. The church should be healing us, not killing us. That's, that's was devastating for me to read. And it's, it's one of many. One of many. And that's because we've become deceived and we've fallen prey to being used by the enemy because there's been pride that's slipped in. We've, we've done what Matthew 24 says. It says the love of many will grow cold. We can't be critical and judgmental of another brother or sister in Christ and walk in love. Impossible. And we've, we've, we've forgotten the mandates of God. His, his commandments. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, 
I pray, I pray right now, Father, that every person here that's hearing this, all of us, would be reminded of that every time we're about to speak, every time we're about to text, every time we're about to post something, that if it is not loving towards our neighbor as we would love ourselves, or doing unto others as we would have them do unto us, help us stop. Help us recognize it. And then, then Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies. The word of God says we're to love our enemies. There is no person you and I ever come in contact with, no matter what they do, what they're doing, what their position is, what their actions are, that we aren't supposed to love them. Now, we don't have to affirm what they do. We don't have to agree with what they do, but we are commanded to love them. And every time we choose not to love them, every time I choose not to love somebody because they cut me off or they do something that I don't think I deserve because I'm me. And what is that? Exactly, it's pride. It was pride that called Luc caused Lucifer to fall. It's still pride that's working in all of us when we judge one another and we criticize one another because we think we know better than them, but the only one that knows better than all of us is God. And we need to have God have his way because I told you revival requires unity. Without unity, revival won't happen. The unity that revival requires is unity with God. And it's through repentance. The first thing we have to do is repent. Turn around from going the way we've been going that's not the way God has for us to go. Doing what we've been doing that is not what God has for us to do. The second thing in, to bring uh, unity and revival is realignment. Realigned with God. The third thing with God is to reconnect and recommit to God. We recommit to God. And say, God, what, what, what was it that Jeremy taught last week? What was the title of the message? Not my will. See, God was setting us up for this week. God will always set you up. And most of the time when we get set up, we don't like it because we think, uh oh, it's not going to go well. God sets us up for increase. God sets us up for breakthrough. God sets us up for blessing. And God was setting us up. God helped me through the message that, that he brought through Jeremy. And, and so we, we need to, to get to that place where we're not wanting our will. We're not doing what we want to do. Because when somebody does something wrong to us, what do we want to do? Exactly. Not only do we want to pay him back, we want to add some interest. Don't we? Don't we want them to know this is nothing you ever want to do to this person again? So if you're going to do it, don't do it to me. Oh, come on. <laughs> so we need to, to be reunited in unity with God. And then out of the unity, out of the connection with God, then and only then can we truly be united with others. And so that, that revival, the unity with God, then breaks through to having us reunite or reconnect with the body of believers and restore relationship. Because it's one thing to sit here on Sunday morning 
But it's another thing to really restore relationship. To be invested and be involved. Taylor showed us and told us what that's like. Man, blessing comes from it. When you're restored, reconnected with others, and you restore that relationship, and that relationship is in good working order, there is nothing but blessing that comes from it if we're walking the way God has for us to walk. It's when we get out of sorts with God, we get into those things that the enemy wants to do, and that selfishness that we begin to hurt each other. It's like two porcupines on a cold night. You're like, Where, how did we get there? I don't know, it just flew in my head. <laughs> but two porcupines on a cold night. On a cold night, they're, they're trying to get warm and kind of get close to each other, but they keep poking each other. And you know, we do that all the time because we still have a lot of rough edges. But the only way to get those ground down is to stay in it. Let... let let God do the polishing up of our lives so that we're not so pointy. Pointing out this and pointing out that. But we're smooth and we're smoothing things over and we're, we're, we're loving people in spite of them. Just like, you know, we've already received. God loved us when we were enemies. And other people deserve the same from us. So we reconnect, we restore relationship, and then what happens is Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by what? Your love one for another. That's how they can't deny that we're his disciples. All of a sudden, when, when we reconnect and we restore that, that unity, that fellowship with one another, that love begins to flow, and people see God. Is that not what revival takes? People becoming aware of God? And it's not because we're saying, Jesus! They don't care about our words because they're looking at our lives. And so all of a sudden, this unity that comes among us is founded on a platform of love a life of love, and God is revealed, and then we're able to reach the world. We're going to see, in Jesus' own words, not today, but we're going to see what Jesus said is the key to reaching the world. And that's the ultimate goal of revival. Revival starts with us. God's got to revive us, got to redirect us back to him, to unite with him, then back to one another, and then and only then can we reach the world. And I've got to tell you something. One of the things that I see, and I am, I am heartbroken, and I can't imagine. I can't imagine what God feels. Because when he looks as a parent, looking at our sons, if, if our sons were at odds with each other, if they were making nasty comments to each other and, and telling everybody else about, you know, the bad things about that, it would break Debbie's in my heart. But there's no greater joy a parent has when, when their kids 
are connected and united and loving and caring and, and uh, investing in each other. And yet, what does God look at down here? And I understand the world's not going to do that because they don't have the love of God. But we're the church. God lives in us. How, how, how must Holy Spirit grieve when we do what we do to one another? I, I, it, it just is amazing to me. And that's why we have these mandates. We have these commands in the word of God. Because God wants the best for us and the best for us will roll over into the best for other people. Freely we've received, freely we give, and that's what God has. God has for us to experience the life-giving aspects of being united with him and united with one another. And when the world sees that, when the world sees us loving God and loving each other, there will not be any need to force anybody to know about Jesus. They're going to come running. God isn't looking for telemarketers. When I say that, I mean people that are trying to force people into getting something they don't need. Because what we have, what God's given us is what everybody needs. But if we're not walking it, they'll never see it because they won't listen to our words. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, in the New Living Translation, and uh, the other one was supposed to be the voice. So uh, it says this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. All right? Make what kind of effort? Every effort. Every effort. That leaves out nothing. There's nothing we can say, well, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Because, you know, the Bible says with God, all things are possible. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that. Don't we want to make exceptions? Why we can't do it? But if we're going to believe God's word, we're going to believe God's word. We can. We make every effort to keep ourselves united. Where? In the spirit. Listen, in this church, we have a variety. That's God's plan. There are different ages. There are different ethnicities or ethnic groups. I can't believe I said that word. Thank you, Lord. There's different educational levels, different economics. Are you ready for this? There are different political parties. <laughs> and let me tell you something. God is on his own side. Okay, he's not taking up a side. And if you think he has, you're wrong. It's exactly what happened with Joshua. When Joshua was standing, waiting to go into the promised land, he, he saw the angel of the Lord. And he said to him, like we all do, are you for us or for them? And you know what his response was? Neither. 
I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. I am on God's side. And you know what? Anybody can choose to be on God's side. But being a Republican, being a Democrat, if you make that an issue, you are working with the enemy. And if that maddens you, if that, that causes you to get a little bristly, you better check your heart. Because you're not operating in the uniting love of God. And if your political party is more important than the unity of the body, you better check whether you're saved. Pastor, that's pretty hard. I'd rather have you check than not be sure. Because it's not when we say we love Jesus. He said, you lo show me love by doing what I've said. There are going to be many that come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do all these great things? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. We can say Jesus is our Lord and not live his lordship. And it just takes a while to watch people and see what they're doing. The voice, let me go on. United in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That word peace, you know what it is. I've shared this with you numerous times. It's the word irene. It means to set at one again. Uniting because we're set at one again. We're choosing to come back together again. Whatever drove us apart, we're going to overcome. We're going to let it fall by the wayside because we're not going to major on minors. The voice says it this way. Make every effort to preserve the unity the Spirit has already created with peace. With peace binding you together. Preserve the unity. It's something that when we're born again, we're born into the family of God. We have more in common than not. And if we look on what we don't have in common or don't like, then we're going to operate in division. But if we'll major on the majors and let the minor things go, and what's, what's the major? What's the most important thing? Jesus is Lord. Salvation through one. It's not, it's not about whether you speak in tongues and somebody else doesn't. Isn't, it isn't about whether you tithe or whether you don't. It isn't about whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you vote or you don't vote. Listen, when we get to heaven, do you think any of that's going to make any difference? then why make it a difference here? Because we're ignorant and we're foolish. Because we operate in pride, because we think what we're doing, everybody ought to do. Listen, God didn't make anybody like anybody else because he wanted one of all of us. He didn't want you to be like somebody else. Yeah, but you know, they're, they're, they're deceived, they're misled. And you know exactly what they should be doing? When did you jump up on God's throne? Because the only one that knows what they were created to do is him. And yes, there's a truth that the word gives definition to our lives. It gives parameters for our life. But the Bible says if we're going to share the truth, it needs to be in love. And when we share the truth in love, it's because we want to help another brother, not point out a fault. We're believing the best 
All righty then. Another place, a mandate from God, from God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. New Living Translation says this. The Apostle Paul is writing to this, this very diverse church. And he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is not just, hey, I just want to talk to you about something. He's saying, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something we ought to take notice of. To live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind united in thought and purpose. <laughs> what? One mind united in thought and purpose? How impossible is that? Because my thoughts aren't your thoughts. And our thoughts aren't his thoughts. I, I have purposes I want and you don't care about them. And you have purposes you want and I don't care about them. Okay, to be honest, there are purposes we all have that nobody cares about but us. But is it what God has? This is where we unite around God. Not about all our individual things. When this life is over, do you think we're going to go to heaven and start talking to everybody and find out, oh, you're... You're a Republican? Oh, you're a Democrat? What are you doing here? <laughs> Do you think when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, you would not believe what I shot playing golf just before I got here. Do you think we're going to waste our time talking about the cars we have, the homes we have, the money we have, the trips we took, the things we did? I want to tell you right now, if you don't know, none of that is going to be conversation. Because we're going to be so in awe of God. And if that's the way it's supposed to be there, and we're going to do that for eternity, why don't we practice here? Huh? Some of you are like, I wonder how many cups of coffee he had this morning. But this says, let there be no divisions in the church. By the authority of Jesus Christ, I speak to you this. And listen, the Bible tells us, as much as it depends on us, live at peace with all people. So you can't make somebody else be united with you, but you can choose to be walking in love and united as much as you can in peace in the setting at one again that God has. So this isn't about us thinking about anybody else. I have to think about myself and think about who am I, who am I, one of those situations where if I saw him coming, I, w I would maybe want to duck into an aisle and not see him. You know what I'm talking about. And if that's the case, I need, it's so important to God. The scriptures say before you leave your gift at the altar, what you're offering to God, and you know you have some division, somebody has something against you, there's a division, go and take care of that before you offer the gift. God says your gift isn't as important as you connecting with them. This is how important it is to God. Because without unity, there's no revival. And where we won't choose to unite and overlook some things, and give some grace to some people, that's where the enemy's going to exploit. 
And, and what does the enemy bring? What, what is his modus operandi? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Is that anything that you can associate with revival? Absolutely not. And that's why we can't have revival until we choose to put those things aside. And why is unity so important? Psalm 133, one of the shortest psalms, only three verses. It says this, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It doesn't say connect for a moment. It says dwell together in unity. That's a, that's a pretty important thing. Now, I want to tell you that I looked this up, this verse 3, and, or verse 1, um, in some other translations. But when it talks about how good and pleasant, again, think back. People that you love, when they're at odds, how does that affect you? It wears and tears on you, doesn't it? Because you love this one, and you love this one, but they're not getting along. I'll be real transparent. My name, Jeffrey, means peacemaker. All right? Growing up, there was, there was real friction and tension in our home when, when some of the family would come in to the point where there were fights and arguments. And this is no different than any other family. But, but part of the family would go to this room and part of the family would go to that room. And, and what became my role was this one would send me to that one and that one would send me to this one. And I was supposed to, uh, can you come to dinner? We're going to have dinner now. Look, we're going to kind of have dinner now. Can you come to the table? How do you think that was for a little kid? And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not looking for sympathy, but I'm telling you that we do that with what's going on in the body of Christ. And it should not be. Should not be. But it says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down to the edge of his garments. Why did God put that in there? That's kind of a crazy thing. No, it's not. It's placed there for a purpose. Who was Aaron? Moses' brother, but who was he? What was his role? He was a high priest, right? And he was the one that went into the Holy of Holies one time a year to present an, a sacrifice to cover over the sins of all Israel. He was a peacemaker. And this says it's like the precious oil. What oil? The anointing oil. Folks, I'm telling you, there is no revival without anointing. And the anointing doesn't happen until there's unity. We can do a lot of things. Man, I'm telling you right now, we can look at what, what man can produce. But it's not the same as what God can produce. When the anointing of God begins to flow, the Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke. And so, you know, if we want the anointing to flow here, 
How many of you want the anointing to flow here? Yokes to be broken, burdens to re be removed, miracles to occur. Yeah, I got both hands up too. I get both feet up, but I fall down. But it's not just me. I do my part, but we all, everyone that comes here, you come bringing either something that adds to or takes away from what God wants to do. That's why it's not just, I'm going to show up at church, but we argue all the way to church. I remember Debbie and I doing that. We don't do that anymore. We drive in separate cars. <laughs> no, we've, we've learned a lot. Over the many years, the 42 years we've been married, we've learned a lot. And we, we really rarely argue. And when we argue, it's more of a passionate discussion. But we've learned how to listen and how to receive from others and value each other when we choose to disagree because we can disagree agreeably. But that's not found in our society. You know what? If we, in our society today, if we disagree, then we determine that person is no longer valuable and we don't need them. And that's the opposite of what God's word says. We need every part. It goes on to say, because of this anointing, because they dwell together in unity, there's an anointing that flows. And it says it's like the dew of Hermon descending on, on, upon the Mount of Zion for there. For where? Where does there point to? No, it points to unity, where the brethren dwell together in unity and there is a flow of the oil, the anointing oil. There... God commands. Now, if God commands something, does it happen? Can anything stop it? No. God commands the blessing. Life forevermore. There's unity. There's the flow of the spirit, the anointing. There's the command of life forevermore, eternal life. And this is, this is why... Revival takes unity. It takes us being united with God and united with one another. Without that, it is not going to happen. Now, in, in this, in, in the message, or in the New Life version, it says, For there, where they dwell together in unity, the Lord has given the gift of life that lasts forever. That's where people get saved for eternity. The gift of life that lasts forever. That's what revival is. Revival is when we're reconnected to God, we're reconnected with each other, and we're reconnecting people with God. The message says it this way. That's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. You and I can't bring people to the place of salvation. We can't save people, but God does, and he does it through people that are united, walking in love. Because they see Jesus. They see the Father. There's such a unity between the Father and the Son that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And that same unity is what Jesus prayed for, that we would be united as one, as the Father and he were one, because if they've seen us, they're going to see Jesus. If we're united with the Father and with one another. But if they don't, they'll never see him. It'll be a warped perception of God. And that's what, what the world's bucking at right now. They don't want our Jesus. 
They don't want our God because they see the same thing in us they see all around them. The moment they see people walking in love, that goodness that we show to each other, that kindness, that, that patience and long-suffering and generosity, no matter what anybody does to us, that's going to be drawing people towards God. They're not going to understand it, but I can tell you one thing that they all will want it. They all want that. We all wanted that. That's what brought us in. But this is where God commands the blessing when people dwell together in unity. But what does God think about division? Does he just say, well, you know, kids will be kids. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking what God's word says. He thinks about where division is, is sown. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, um, it says this. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an what? Abomination. That's, that's a real expressive word to say this isn't anything God would tolerate. Seven are abomination to him. Now look at these six. A proud look, a lying tongue. So pride and lies. God hates them because of what they do. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. I just want you to think about that. And then I, I, I want to share with you that verse 16 in the message says this. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. Or I'm sorry, here are six things the Lord hates. One he loathes with a passion. Then the passion translation says there are six things God truly hates and the seventh that is an abomination to him. What do you think the abomination to him is? I'm going to tell you what it is. One that sows discord among the brethren. When we sow discord among the brethren, when we choose to walk divided with our brothers and sisters, we are in direct conflict with the prayer Jesus prayed. Now, how many of you know the prayer, the Lord's Prayer? Okay, what we've heard is the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy. Okay. And, and that was when he was teaching his disciples. But we have a prayer from the Lord that is the longest prayer recorded in Scripture that we're going to look at and see what he prayed for because that's what he prayed for you and me. And many times we're in direct opposition to that. And it's the very thing that's standing between us and, and revival that we, we so want. And we can pray. Listen to me. We can pray. We can pray until our little lips fall off. And not have revival if we're not willing to do what it takes. Because if we're, if we're praying with hatred in our heart, with division with somebody else, God's not going to hear our prayers the way we expect them. Because it says if a husband is not united with his wife, it hinders his prayers. 
if that's the case, that follows through with all of us. There, our prayers are hindered because of our division. Now, I know, I know, I know. Right now, you might say, man, this is a downer. And it's, it's, it's a little tough to swallow. But I'm telling you, the reason why we're hearing this is because God wants us to recognize what's going on in our lives and make a decision to change. Make the adjustment. What is it that is more important to you than God and his will? What grudge? What anger? What animosity is more important because I want you to know that's the very thing that's keeping you from all God has for you. And we know why. We know why. We know why this is so important because we already said it, Matthew 12, 25. It says, every kingdom, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Brought to desolation. That word desolation to me, means to make a wilderness, to lay waste, to be desolate, solitary, or lonesome. One of the things more people are dealing with through the COVID, but have been dealing with for years and years and years, is this feeling of isolation. Being among people, but isolated, alone. And that's because of of the division. We've got to choose. Man, we've got to choose. Or every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That word stand, not stand, means to be firm, established, active, and upright. So it goes from a kingdom to a city to a home. What this is telling us is it doesn't matter what level it's on. The effects of it are destructive, are damaging. So what do we do? How do we do this? In the book of Romans, oh, they were written to us. Romans chapter 14. He's writing about the fact that there was divisions and, and had happened in, in the church at Rome. It wasn't a church. It was the church at Rome. All the different groupings, fellowships that were Christian in Rome, and they were made up of, of Jews and Gentiles. And in the message it says this, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who... Are you kidding me? Who don't see things the way you do? <laughs> don't jump all over them every time they do or say something... What? You don't agree with... Even when it seems they're strong in opinions but weak in their faith department. We need to set them straight. <laughs> Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. You know what this was about? It was about 
the Jews that were believers saying, you know what, we can't eat certain things because the meat might be offered to idols and we can't eat meat offered to idols. And they also said, you know, we need to observe certain days. And, and in here, and it would be good for you to read this whole chapter, okay? I would encourage you to go back and read this whole chapter sometime this week. But it talks about the stronger making room for the weak, cutting some slack for the weak. And you know who was the stronger? The Gentiles. It didn't matter to them if they ate meat offered to idols. They didn't see it as a problem because they didn't worship idols. But the Jews were saying, you can't do this. It was real legalism. They were like Pharisees. Hey, what are you doing? Who'd you vote for? How'd that get out? How come you're not? Hold it. Who's Lord of them? Yeah, not us. Not us. We're supposed to be, treat them gently. We're supposed to be patient with them. We're supposed to be loving towards them. But you know what? They're, they're making all sorts of mistakes. Point out in the word, do it lovingly, and then let them go to God. Let God work on them. I'm, oh, please help me, Lord. There is no one that has another person as their project. You are not my project. They are not your project. You and I all have a project, and the project is us. God's not giving you authority over another person. God's giving you authority in your life. And that's why we have to take care of, the Bible says before you take care of the speck in your brother's eye, take care of the beam in your own eye. You know what that indicates? What you're seeing in them is working greater in you. And you need to become aware of that and take care of your stuff first. Get right with God first. Romans 14.10 in the Amplified says this. Why do you criticize and pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you look down upon or despise your brother. If we're looking down on somebody, what's our position? Yeah, superiority, which is pride. There's nobody that's superior to anybody else except for God. There is no time. It should be an immediate flag when I start to look down and think my brother is less smart, is dumb, is less anything. I need to realize God looked at me and chose not to belittle me or berate me, but to love me and lift me. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And, and when, when we do judge one another, the scripture that follows that is used most times when offerings are given. It says when you judge another person, 
that judgment will come back to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto you. And that's where we can't afford. I, can't, I don't know about you. I can't afford to judge another person because I can't afford to be judged like that. If I'm going to get something, I need mercy. And if I'm going to get mercy, I need to sow mercy. I need love, and if I'm going to get love, I need to sow love. In verse 4 of this, this chapter, it says this. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? What's that about? Their own master will judge them whether they stand or fall. Whose servant am I? Yeah, but unfortunately in a lot of churches, people think that, that whoever is the pastor is their servant. And I serve you because I'm his servant. And God's going to judge me. I am very aware that there is a judgment that's coming to me that's going to be more critical than what you experience because of the responsibility I have. But that's where we've got to realize everyone, everyone is God's servant. And it says here, their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval because that's what God does. When God does do that, he looks to redeem the situation. And we don't always do that. And that's where we have to embrace and embody what Jesus said. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. And in doing that, there'll be a unity that begins to come. Because we can't do this without God. We need to be united with God. And then we become united with one another. And then the world takes notice of this. And they begin to be drawn to God. That's the revival we're waiting for. That's the revival that will come, but it will only come this way. I just want to ask you to bow your heads. And Lord, right now, I just pray. If, if I have said anything or done anything that would be contrary to what you had wanted or the way you wanted, I just ask you to remove it. Father, I pray that you would seal to our, our hearts and our remembrance the things that you have for us to remain faithful to and to walk in. Lord, I pray. I pray that we would find ourselves in a place of true dependence on you uniting with you that father that would be the provision for us to be able to unite with one another work make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit there's more that we are connected by than we are divided by or could be divided by father help us major on the majors and let the rest of the stuff go. If it's not going to make a difference in heaven, help us recognize it doesn't need to make a difference here. And Father, heal. Heal hearts. Heal hearts. Your word says you're the healer of the brokenhearted. Father, just as I read that that person 
unfortunately didn't take their lives, but no longer wanted to return to the church because of the pain, the hurt that they'd experienced. Father, I ask you to forgive me and help me to redeem, be used to redeem hurts that I have caused in others. Help us to, to be used to redeem these things. Father, we want to be a place where hurting people, helpless people, different people can come and be healed and made whole, united with you and united with the body. Father, we thank you for this, this good work that you've begun, that you are faithful to complete, because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things. One, I would ask that um, you would be praying for some